1: Well, hey there. Hey, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. want to welcome all of those who are joining us online and all of you out in Prescott Valley. It was so great to hang out with you guys last week. Uh, this is Colin. For those of you who don't know, uh, Colin's been the student pastor here for the last two and a half years, and we shared uh, several weeks ago that this is going to be Colin's last Sunday with us, and so we just wanted to take him moment and pray for Colin and the whole Bishop family as they are heading back to Texas. Uh, Colin, uh, they've had Two babies since they got here, and so uh, going back and hanging out with the family and having the grandparents there. So we're excited for them, uh, but just wanted to take a moment today and to pray for them as they head out. If you want to come by this afternoon, we are having a little bit of a get-together in the cafe, so you can come and thank Colin for his time with us. So let's pray for the bishops. Father, we are grateful for Colin and Courtney and Nash and Sawyer and Juniper, and the impact that they've had on this church and in our ministry. God, I just pray your blessing over Colin. I pray that you would use him in profound ways as he uh, heads to Carrollton, and God, that you would just multiply the impact of his ministry. God, we pray your blessing over them. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Today we are kicking off our Christmas series that we're calling the Songs of Christmas. I want to begin with this. How many of you are fans of Christmas music? Okay, you people. All right. How many of you could be described as a bah humbug like me? Yes. Unite. I feel like some of y'all are just Feel shamed in this moment to actually declare the truth of who you really are. Here's the reality, though. It doesn't really matter if you like Christmas music or not, because the next four weeks, you're going to get it whether you want it or not. Like, it's going to happen in every store you go to, every restaurant you eat at. It's going to be interspersed on whatever radio station you might be listening to. They'll throw Christmas songs in. It will fill up prime time TV specials. They will play, uh, Christmas songs will play an integral role in your favorite Christmas movies or plays. Like, music is to Christmas what eggs are to Easter or cake is to birthday or flags are to independence day like literally you you can't celebrate one without having the other and that's the way christmas is in fact uh, there is no other event in all of human history that has inspired more music than the events surrounding christmas everyone from Bach to Handel to Charles Wesley to Dean Martin to Elvis Presley, Nat King Cole, Mariah Carey, Amy Grant, even David Hasselhoff (laughs) and Roseanne Barr and Twisted Sister and the Brady Bunch and NSYNC, they all have Christmas albums, all of them. Last year, the big Christmas album that came out was the Backstreet Boys. So all of you Gen X ladies can go make that happen. This year, the big newcomer Christmas album is Share. So for you Cher fans, you can go get her Christmas album. And for all of you football fans and Swifties, Travis Kelsey and his brother Jason have just released their own Christmas song duet. So you can go... Download that on the YouTubes today, I don't know how that works, but the reality is more songs have been written and sung and re-sung related to Christmas than any other event in human history. There's just something about Christmas that calls for us to cry out and sing. But what you may not know is this is not a new phenomenon. Like, this has happened from the very beginning. The arrival of Jesus inspired songs before he even arrived. As we're going to see in the next few weeks, the Christmas story in your Bible is actually laced with songs. The first one was composed by the very first person who knew the coming of the Messiah was near, and her name was Mary. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. So we're going to begin today. Outside of Jesus, there's probably no one more revered worldwide in Christendom than is Mary. But what is interesting to me is actually how little we know about Mary. How little we actually understand about her life. If you gathered up all that the Bible has to tell us about heard, the story would be pretty small. We don't know anything about her childhood or how she grew up. We don't know about her parents. We don't know how she met Joseph. We don't really know anything about how she raised Jesus. In fact, there's only one story of how Jesus was raised between the birth of, I'm sorry, between the ages of two and 30. We have one little moment that we have of his life. We don't know how long she lived. We don't even really know where she died. The biggest part of Mary's story that we know is right here surrounding the birth of Jesus. She shows up a couple of times in the gospel, like at the wedding of the, in Cana. There's a couple other times after that, but even when she shows up, she's never the center of the story. She makes a cameo appearance at the cross and she shows up one time in the book of Acts. Like, that's it. Like, we just aren't told very much about her. But before we dive into her song, I do want to share with you a few things that we do know. This is what we can garner from Scripture about Mary. One is that she is from Nazareth. Okay, so this is the one thing that we know. It was a town... A couple of dozen people, maybe up to a couple of hundred people. It sat on about 10 acres of land, and it was a town of no significance. In fact, before, before an angel shows up in Nazareth and tells Mary that she's going to be with child, before that story is recorded, the, the word Nazareth is recorded nowhere else in all of history. Like it had had no other historical story connected to it. It was was nowheresville. It was off the beaten path. No one showed up to Nazareth on accident and very few people went there on purpose, all right? That That was Nazareth. We also know that she was engaged, sort of. And what I mean by sort of is when we think about engagement, engagement is really different for us than it was for her because for us to walk away from an engagement is not a very big deal unless you do it the day of your wedding. Then it's a big deal. That, that will, that, people will remember that. But think about how many people you know who have been engaged that never ended up marrying the person they were engaged to. Like, it's just common. It happens all the time. Engagement is just not that big a deal for us. It is one step in the relational process that we can walk away from at any point. That doesn't describe the kind of engagement Mary was in. She was pledged to be married. She was betrothed, which meant that her parents had decided with Joseph's parents that their children would become a couple, that they would be married and they struck a contract, and a deal was made, and a bride price was paid, and this was a done deal. It was an official arrangement. It was binding. Even before there was ever a wedding ceremony, to get out of this arrangement required a divorce. Number three, we know she was a virgin, okay? This is a really big, important part of the story, like that what's about to happen in Her life is a supernatural event, not just a physical event. She was poor. How do we know that? Well, because when in the Jewish culture on the eighth day, the firstborn of every womb was belonged to the Lord. That's what scripture says. So Mary, this is her firstborn. This firstborn belonged to the Lord. And and what you had to do as a parent is you take that firstborn to the temple and you would offer up a sacrifice to the Lord in place of the firstborn from your womb. And you were to go and to offer a lamb to the Lord to redeem the firstborn from every womb. And so When Mary and Joseph go to the temple, they were to offer a lamb. But there was a stipulation in the law that says that if you could not afford a lamb for this sacrifice, you could instead offer two doves or two pigeons. If you were poor and couldn't afford the lamb, you could bring two doves. And that's what we find Mary and Joseph having to do. I've always found it intriguing to think, that the cost was too high for a sacrificial lamb to be offered for the sacrificial lamb. Lastly, we know that she was highly favored by God. Now this one doesn't seem to fit the rest of what we know about Mary's life. It doesn't seem to fit for me that she was favored. She was favored, yet she was dirt poor. She was favored, yet she was stuck in Nazareth. She was favored, yet by the world standards, she was wholly insignificant. By all modern standards, we would not look at Mary's life and call her favored. Yet, to this young woman, an angel comes and has a message for her, and I want you to see what this message is. In the sixth month, Favor with God. Twice in the introduction, the angel makes it clear to her, you are favored. And not just a little favored, you are highly favored by God. And because she has found favor with God, she has been chosen of all people on the planet to be the one that the Messiah would be born from. Like, this is an amazing honor. Now, the question becomes, why her? Like, like what, what is it about Mary that opened up the door for the favor of God in her life? Like, I want to know this because I don't know about you, but I want the favor of God in my life. How many of you would say, yeah, I would like the favor of God in my life. If we want the favor of God, then it's important for us to ask the question, what was it about Mary that that allowed the favor of God to be in her life? I think the answer to this is actually found in the first Christmas song ever written. And it's found for us in Luke chapter 1. So the angel visits Mary, tells her the news that she's going to be the one who gives birth to the Messiah, that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, she's going to become pregnant with the Messiah. And in response to that news, Mary composes a song. It's called the Magnificant because that's the first word of the song in Latin, It means to praise or to glorify, or we might say to magnify. And I believe tucked in the words of this song, we get get a picture of what was in her that God saw that allowed her to be highly favored. And here's how the song begins. And Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here's the thing. As human beings, you are hardwired to give your glory to things. We are hardwired to magnify people and things. Like that's what we do automatically. An alcoholic magnifies the bottle. A workaholic magnifies success. A hypochondriac magnifies their health. Uh, Warriors magnify their problems. Some people magnify money. Other people magnify sex. Some people magnify approval. Many of us magnify security. We will often magnify our kids or magnify our favorite sports team. We magnify our Favorite makeup brands or car brands or even our phone brands because iPhones really are just better. Like, stop coming at me with these green message bubbles. Every day of your life, you magnify things, you glorify things. Like, this is what we do, it's hardwired into us. Now, What's interesting is Mary says, my soul, in this moment when this angel comes, my soul magnifies, glorifies the Lord. Here's the thing about magnifying something. Magnifying something does not change the worth, the status, the size, or the value of the thing being magnified. What changes is our perspective of the thing we are magnifying. Let me me try to help you see it this way. Think about if you take a magnifying glass and you put it over an ant, the ant does not get bigger. Your perspective changes. The way you see the ant changes. When you take a telescope and you put it in the night sky and you shine it at a little dot of light out, the star doesn't get bigger. Its value isn't greater. What happens is your perspective changes and you begin to see a little bit of what was there all along. And that is what's happening for Mary. It's not as if God has just now become worthy of her glory or worthy of her praise, but all of a sudden her perspective on God has changed. And her soul magnifies the Lord. See, what we don't have any context for is the fact that for 400 years, before Luke chapter 1, for 400 years, God had been silent. With the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, there was 400 years where no one heard from the Lord. Where there were no visions, there were no dreams, there were no words of knowledge, there were no prophecies or prophets. Like for 400 years the line had gone dead. And now all of a sudden this angel shows up in Nazareth and speaks to Mary. Mary. Of all people, he spoke to Mary. God, who created the universe, has just revealed that his plan to bring his son into the world is about to happen, and he chose to use Mary as the portal. And he shared that message with her. No wonder, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord because her mind has just exploded. Her perspective of God has changed. She just got a really big view of God. And you know what naturally happens when you get a big view of God? Whenever it is that you get a big view of God, you will naturally gain a right view of yourself. Like whenever you have a person who is intent on magnifying the Lord, you will always find a person who has a right view of themselves. Now, notice I didn't say a small view of yourself as if somehow we are insignificant. You're not insignificant, okay? Because God stepped out of heaven and he put on flesh and then he allowed that flesh to get ripped from his body so that you could be a part of his family forever. He would not do that if you if he deemed you insignificant. Mary magnifies the Lord, which automatically gives her a right view of herself. And what is that view of herself? How does she see herself in light of the of the amazing glory of the Lord? She continues. Mary said my so glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's, her mind is blown, and her soul rejoices because God is mindful of her. And how does she see herself? I am just his humble servant. As you read through the scriptures, there are many characteristics that we could point to that are important for us to open up ourselves to the favor of God. We could talk about integrity and faithfulness and honesty and obedience, but more than anything else in scripture, more than anything else, the pathway to the favor of God is paved with humility. The pathway to the favor of God is paved with humility. And let me just show you some scriptures that show us this. Proverbs 15 says, The wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Now, this is interactive sermon time. Everybody play along. What comes before honor? Humility. humility. We want the honor piece. We want God lifting us up and honoring us and glorifying. We want the favor of God. But he says before honor comes, humility comes. Jesus put it this way, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, we want the exalted part. We want to be lifted up and honored and praised and glorified. We want all of those parts of being in a relationship with the Lord. But he says, before that happens, you have to humble yourself. If you start down here, the Lord will put you up here. However, if you start up here and you exalt yourself, I'll put you down here. James says it this way, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you humble yourself, then you will receive the honor, the favor of the Lord. First Peter puts it this way. All of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows what? He shows what? He shows favor to the humble. All of you who said, I want the favor of God. Here's how you get it. God shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. This is the pattern that we receive all throughout Scripture. It is humility that opens the door to God showing us favor, and it is pride that takes it away. It is humility that opens the door, and it is pride that closes it, because God opposes the proud. And I need to say this. This is something that I've been chewing on for about a year. It's been on the little whiteboard in my office. Humility is not a gift that is given, it is a command to be obeyed. Humility is not a virtue we receive, it is an attitude we pursue. Again, look at this text. All of you, talking to the church, clothe yourselves with humility. This is not something that God does. There's something in us that just says, well, I'll just pray for, to be humble and sit back and wait for God to do his thing. No, no, no. Humble yourselves, therefore. This is our responsibility. Humility is not a gift we receive, it is a command that we obey. Us not walking in humility is us choosing to walk in pride. And that's exactly what we find Mary doing walking in humility. She is humbling herself before the Lord. I love the image of that first verse of this song. Mary thinks about, my goodness, God is mindful of his humble servant. He's mindful of me. I mean, I just want you to imagine for just a second. Imagine that you were 100% certain that right now in this moment, God had you on his mind. Not like in a big general sense that he loves all people. No, no, no. He had you. He knew your name and your story. He was thinking about your family and your future. Imagine you knew with 100% certainty God was thinking about you. What would that do on the inside of you? Would that puff you up a little bit? Think about God thinking about me or would it cause you to hit your face? That God was mindful of you. Let's be honest. It could be as, it could be a real source of pride. I mean, God is thinking about me. I mean, imagine Mary. God sent an angel to talk to me. Of all the all the women of all the earth for all time, God chose me. God picked me to be the one to bring His Son into. He picked me. Well, of course he would. Right? It could be easily a source of pride. And like this isn't the only, this isn't the only mark in Mary's life that could cause some pride for her. I mean, think about it. Mary is the only mother in all of history to raise a perfect child. <laughs> Except my mom, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But imagine the only woman to ever, to ever raise a perfect child. That would be one way to, that could cause you to to harbor a little pride, right? I mean, let's be honest. You and I have met some moms who thought their children were perfect, and it made them insufferable. Right? Imagine if their children were actually perfect. I mean, Mary could have, it could have been a huge source of pride. Mary could have had a bumper sticker on the back of her mule that said, my son created your honor student, right? He could, my son created your honor student. My son is the reason for the season. Like she could have, she could have had some real pride. Like, if anybody had the right to be filled with pride, it seems Mary had the right, but she's not. She's just a face down, humble servant. And then she says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Which, which honestly, that doesn't seem very humble. Like all generations, Mary, you think, people are, yeah, 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 all generations are gonna call me blessed. Now the question is, the question is why? Why? Why are they gonna call her blessed? Is it because she's so great? Is she saying this because look at all the great things that I've done? Because of all the, the women in the world, God chose me? No. She says, I will be called blessed. Blessed, not because of anything I have done. All generations will call me blessed for the mighty one. The mighty one has done great things for me. Like it's not about me. They will call me blessed, not because of what I have done, but because of what the mighty one has done for me. You see what Mary's doing here? She's like like trying to be a big mirror in this moment. Where all of the glory and all of the the magnifying, all of the blessedness is coming to her. She's trying to redirect it back to the one who deserves it. She wants when people see her or think about her or tell her story to remember it's not about her. It's not about what she's done. It's about what the mighty one has done. She is positioning herself to reflect all of that glory back to the one who deserves it. And then she bursts out and says, holy is his name. Not holy is my name. Holy is his name. Which is, again, it's interesting because throughout history, there have been many names and titles that have been given to Mary. And many of them include the word holy. She's called the holy mother. She's called holy Mary. She's called the holy virgin of virgins. She's also called things like the Blessed Mother and Mother of God and, and God Bearer and Co-Redemptrix and Seat of Wisdom and even Queen of Heaven is a title that has been given to Mary. I want to emphasize these are titles that have been given to Mary. And while some of them have a seed of truth to them, some of them are way off and they are, none of them are in any way indicative of how she saw herself. She describes herself as a humble servant and holy is his name, not my name. I want to read the rest of this song. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the what? Lifted up the the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Like as you read this song, it doesn't take long for us to understand this song is about God. It's not about Mary. A dozen times in this song, she uses the word he, him, his. God is the subject of every verb, It's all about him and not about her. She isn't trying to receive glory. She's trying the best that she can to give all the glory to the one to whom it's due. This is all about what God has done. This is the very first Christmas song. The very first Christmas song ever written was a reminder that Christmas isn't about us. It's about a God who remembered his people and stepped into history to move on their behalf. It was about a God who was sending his son to keep his promises to his people. And it was written by a teenage girl who had a front row seat to see it all. It was written by a poor peasant girl who instead of acting like a VIP was overwhelmed that the God of the universe was even mindful of her. And so as we launch into this season of celebrating Christmas, I want to, encourage you to start where Mary did. Overwhelmed and amazed at what God has done. Because over the next few weeks, it's going to be really, really tempting for the lights and the gifts and the gatherings and the food, for all of those things that we love about Christmas. It's going to be really tempting to let all of those things become the focus. And for all the stories that get told to be wrapped around me and mine and ours and forget stories that include he and him and his. So our goal, the way I would love to see all of our church, the heart This church, the posture that I want us to take as we start into this Christmas season, I want us us to start where Mary started. Where we get to the place where we say, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I want us to get to the end of the Christmas season in this be the thing that drives us. And I, wanna, I want us to end our time together today by putting this into practice. So we're going to sing today to give us a chance to practice what it means to pour our heart out and glorify our Savior. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful that we get a chance to magnify the Lord. I pray that today our perspective changes, that we see you as bigger and grander, and more glorious than we have before. And because we have a right view of you, we get a right view of ourselves, and we humble ourselves before you. To think that you are mindful enough of us to call our name, to bring us into your family, God, may that cause us to hit our face and lift up our hands. Receive our praise today. Holy Spirit, bring out of us the glory that is deserved for our Father. And It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.